Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. We're so glad you're listening, but we want to hear from you, too. Please take a moment and visit us at heavenlybanquet.com and subscribe to our Substack, where you will join a community of other listeners just like you. Chad and I will be posting extra content there, some additional audio, too, and we just would love to to hear from you and to have you join the discussion there with us. That's right. And maybe here's a little something we can chat about. We're going to offer today in this episode some reading suggestions. So our picks for things that uh, you might want to pick up and check out. uh, Things that we may have found transformative in some way. Things that may have informed our faith um, or jostled or faith, maybe, but um, we each ha- are bringing you three books yeah. today. So, am I to start, since this is my yeah, go ahead. wild idea? Uh, so, my first pick, mm-hmm. Chad, is The Life of Anthony. Wonderful. It's so cool. So, we're looking at about the year 360 or so. Um, this is written by Athanasius. He was a patriarch of Alexandria, mm-hmm. so a uh, champion of the Orthodox faith, the Trinity in particular. Um, and so it's written originally in Greek, but it gets translated into Latin really early uh, after it's been written um, by every. <laughs> <laughs> Who did it? <laughs> <laughs> by um, this other guy. <laughs> Evagrius. Evagrius. Yeah, yeah. Okay, by Evagrius of Antioch. Uh, so it becomes hugely influenced. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to start my life over, not just this recording. You're doing great. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jack. Mm. It becomes a hugely influential work in the West, um, influencing sort of this burgeoning monasticism uh, and what that's going to look like. But the basic story is, okay, Anthony's born in Egypt around 250, something like that. Mm -hmm. He's born to a wealthy family. Uh, His parents have both died. He's about 18 or 20, something like that. Mm -hmm. He hears the gospel story where Jesus tells the rich young ruler to give up his possessions okay. and follow him. Give up, give, up, give up all your possessions and follow me. And Anthony does it. He does it, yeah. He goes and he does it. Now, one of his possessions <clears throat> or charges is his sister. <laughs> so he shuffles her off to a convent. And, um, pays, pays them to look after him. And then he goes out into the desert. And is really living this strict aestheticism of like hair shirts, not bathing, blah, blah, blah. But uh, is devoting himself to prayer and fasting and gains wisdom through trying to live the Christian life out there. And 
I think we imagine that these desert folks are alone and they are not. <laughs> there are people visiting all the time, trying yeah. to get wisdom, trying to talk to the holy men, to the wise women. Um, and he's also not alone because Satan keeps showing up yeah, too. to torture him. Uh, so there's these wild stories in here. There's also this collection of all of these uh, interesting things that he's saying to people, you know, people who come even to challenge him, making fun of him because he's not an intellectual, mm. a man of letters, right? And he gets in a sparring contest with some of these groups and he ends up saying something like, you know, well, what's first, thoughts or letters? Mm. And they're like, well, the thoughts. And he's like, okay, then I think I'm fine. <laughs> letters are just a product of that. Of my thoughts. So yeah. I can live there. Um so I, I th it's also the first uh, in a, a genre of Christian literature, which is this Vita, a life's lives of the saints, right? So we have this pattern that kind of gets established with life of Anthony that we'll see in the other um, lives of saints too, of this kind of auspicious beginnings and uh, these dialogues with the powers and holy people and, and miracles and yeah. things. Uh, but really wonderful work and accessible, too. Easy to read. This could be a beach book yeah. <laughs> for some folks. Um, but that's my first pick, Life of Anthony. Very nice. I've read it. I love it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, my first pick is The Confessions. Yeah, my favorite book. Yeah. <laughs> I stole your first pick for next time. <clears throat> By uh, Augustine of Hippo. Uh, late 4th, early 5th century. Writes it about 400, I believe. Mm. So it's the first Western Christian autobiography. Yeah. Um, I think Ovid started the genre, but yeah. And it really is a spiritual autobiography. He, he writes it kind of in a prayer form. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about when he was young and stealing fruit and how wild he was and um, he talks about friendship, how wonderful that is. There's this great, uh, moment, you know, his best friend dies and he talks about how half of himself is gone and it's really touching. The language he was, you know, he was a trained rhetorician. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the language he uses is, uh, it's, it's a fun read, uh, but also full of theological nuggets. Um, his mother, Monica, plays a huge role in his life, and she's one of my favorite people <laughs> uh, in that. You know, she's the mother who will not let him be until he comes to faith. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it just kind of traces his, it's a confession of his life and his faith journey. Um, the, the first number of chapters. And then the last few chapters, he begins to explore Genesis and creation. And it's it's probably my favorite part of the book because it's very philosophical and he asks some interesting questions. But I think every Christian should read the Confessions. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, it's just a monumental work of Western literature, as you say, too. Yeah. You know, and thinking about, you know, the last episode that we recorded on Faith and Doubt. Like, to see this giant of the Christian tradition wrestle with things yeah. out loud for, um, you know, as you say, it's addressed to God, but we get to be the audience and yeah. to hear him 
is, yeah, a gift. Very good. So that's my first pick. All right. Um, you know, I'm a little stuck in the mid-fourth century here. My um, my second pick is Basil's Sermons on Wealth. Oh. So there's a great little collection of these. I think it's three or four of them, something like that, in a SVS Press, the St. Vladimir Seminary Press, okay. in that popular patristic series. We'll have all these links in the show notes and on the page, y'all. But um, it's called On Social Justice. And so Basil, uh, you know, is a, a priest who's working in um, Caesarea. He has a very active ministry to the poor and the ill. Basically invents the concept of a hospital. Yeah, hospices that, and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's actually doing, he's doing the work, okay? So... There's this uh, major drought about all of Asia Minor in 368, and that's where the bulk of these sermons come from. So, of course, the drought is leading to famine, and then that situation is intensified by these greedy little piggies who are holding back grain to inflate the prices even more. Right? So, Basil is over it. And this is just such a searing example, too, of you know what did early sermons sound like? Mm-hmm. What was the content of preaching, right? So, yeah, he's all up in people's business. He's all up in people's pockets yeah. talking about how they're using their money. What, you know, what are they culpable for because of their wealth? Uh, and they're very pointed. So... You know, his general argument is this idea of, you know, what you have, you have by grace. What you have beyond your needs is someone else's, Hmm. right? Because the fact that you have it means somebody else doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's sinful, right? So I'll just read, there's just maybe this one quote I'll pull out here about just how kind of ah some of this stuff is. But, you know, how many... Could you have delivered from want with but a single ring from your finger? Mm. How many households fallen into destitution might you have raised? In just one of your closets, there are enough clothes to cover an entire town shivering with cold. Oh, wow. Right. So uh, these are delightful to me. I think the rhetoric is wonderful. I think he's just on point with everything he has to say. But I'm also getting this joy just imagining this congregation hearing these things, you know? Um, But, I mean, but he really understands this as saving their souls, right? So it's not just, I'm banging up on the rich, you know? um, Jeff Bezos, you're going (laughs) to hell, man! Uh, But it's actually out of care in trying to save them, right? So he says, you know, you've shown no mercy, it will not be shown to you. You open not your house, you'll be expelled from the kingdom. Mm. You gave not your bread, you will not receive eternal life. Wow. And so there's a choice here. There's two, there's two paths, mm-hmm. one of life and one of death. Mm-hmm. You're on the wrong. Um, I think I think it's a really enjoyable, easy read, uh, and and lots of it obviously could speak to us right now. Nice, like it. Uh, my second pick is The Cloud of Unknowing. Um, 14th century uh, work of Christian mysticism. We don't know the author. <laughs> Anonymous or unknown. 
Um, <clears throat> but it's basically putting forth a method of contemplative prayer. Mm. Um, so, it's, it, you know, the author, whoever they are, talks about the, the advantage of meditating on Christ's passion and learning about Christ's way and, and even in prayer using discursive prayer and so on, but says that we can penetrate past that. So there are two clouds, and I'll just kind of describe the method right quickly, give you Please. an idea. <clears throat> so in the book, there's two, two clouds. One is the cloud of unknowing, and the other is the cloud of forgetting. And these are metaphors. The cloud of unknowing is, is this metaphor for this idea that is well entrenched in the Orthodox tradition that God ultimately transcends our best ideas about God. Mm. Okay? That there is this cloud of unknowing between us and God that we can't penetrate with the intellect, but we can penetrate with our love. Huh. Right? So if you want to know God, you penetrate this cloud of unknowing with our love. Uh, the cloud of forgetting is all our good ideas that we think about God. We put it under the cloud of forgetting and pretty much forget about them during prayer and penetrate the cloud of unknowing with, as he puts it, or she puts it, uh, with the darts of love, with this naked intention to love this God whom we can't conceptualize. Hmm. So that's the basic premise. Um, it's a very short read, um, and it's very practical in terms of this is a method of doing this kind of prayer. And so, you know, if anyone is interested in contemplative prayer, this is definitely a standard to uh, look at um, to get some uh, practical guidance. And uh, it's an enjoyable read, I think. Um, and like I said, it's not very long. So a great little book. I definitely okay. suggest it if, if anybody's interested in that. Wow. Do you know, I don't think I've ever read it. No? I don't think I have. It's really short. I have the Penguin... I wish I had, I could suggest a good version. I have the Penguin Classics. Well, I know it's in that um, Classics of Western Spirituality, which is probably where I'd yeah, go that's for probably most gonna of be, those things. Yeah, it's probably going to be the best one. Okay, I'll have to check it out. No. That'll be my reading assignment. Uh, so my third pick, I'm going to whiplash us into the 20th century, uh, but it's James Baldwin's uh, letter from a region in my mind. Uh, James Baldwin, just, I think, one of the greatest intellects of American uh, discourse of the 20th century. But this, I would recommend, if you, if you haven't read Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail yet, mm -hmm. read read that mm -hmm. um uh, this touches on a lot of the same themes mm -hmm. but true to baldwin is so much more just pointed and bare um and he's talking about his experience growing up in the church his experience with the church uh what he's seen there uh, and it touches on um, his experience then later with the Nation of Islam and those uh, leaders as well. Okay. But, uh, and again, this is a shorter read. It was originally uh, published in The New Yorker, uh, 1962. Mm -hmm. um, so as an extended kind of essay in there. Uh, but, uh, let's see, 
the argument you want to take from it, the theological argument, is he understands white supremacy as a lack of love of self, mm. actually. Um, that that's kind of a root cause there. Um, that it's that white people or others, any of these kinds of hate, ultimately. Yeah. Um, but it's it would be my lack of love of self, my insecurities that are causing me to have to put down, keep down other people. Okay. Because then that's how I'm determining my worth is by degrading, dehumanizing others rather than standing up on my own. So, and there's so much more in this work than that idea. Um, But there's a, a quote kind of summing that up, which is, white people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. And when they've achieved this, which will not be tomorrow and may very well be never, the Negro problem will no longer exist, for it will no longer be needed. Hmm. Um, It's just a wonderful piece of writing, um, and will be also depressing to show you just how little has actually changed. Yeah, changed since then. That is depressing. Um, And particularly as we've seen the culpability of the church in America being so wedded to white supremacy. And I mean that even in the ways of just not challenging it, not, not uh, willing yeah. to let, uh, you know, um, members and such go who hold these really violent uh, views. Yeah. So Nice. I don't know that I've read it, so I'll, if you, when you link it, I'll read it. Okay. My last pick is from Leo Tolstoy. Oh. Y'all know him, right? War and Peace, uh, Anna Karenina. Uh, The book is The Kingdom of God is Within You. And first let me qualify that I suggest this if you want to be challenged. I don't agree with everything Tolstoy says in this, but it's definitely a challenging book uh, for, for Christians, I think. It's basically promoting a principle of nonviolence based on Jesus' teachings. Mm. Um, It's inspired by American Christian anarchism, which is this idea that there's only one authority, God, Mm. and that governments which wage war and rule and so on are illegitimate for Christians. Mm. So it's it's a kind of Christian. Um, Bad news for America. Yeah. Um, he bases a a lot of it on Christ's teaching. And here's the thing about Tolstoy. He rejects pretty much everything but certain gospel passages. And he comes right out and says that the Sermon on the Mount and the Nicene Creed are incompatible. Oh. Because he believes that the job of the organized church, and of course a lot of this is aimed at the Russian church at the time, is to obscure the truth and keep people from knowing the truth of Christ's teachings. Right. Um, he, and fair warning, if you do decide to read this book, the first half of it is him covering, um, a couple of other people, Aidan Ballou and William Lloyd Garrison, both were, um, American Christian anarchists who argued for doing away with government and absolute love and nonviolence 
under the idea that if we really lived that out, evil would disappear, which I reject as naive. But anyways, what's challenging about the book is when he starts to talk about the teachings of Christ and how the church is complicit in watering them down and minimizing, you know, should we really love our neighbors or, you know, should we really turn the other cheek, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And he has some, some pointed arguments, but I will read uh, because he says Christianity and ruling are incompatible. And I'll just read a couple things. He says that the good cannot seize power, not retain it. To do this, men must love power. And love of power is inconsistent with goodness, but quite consistent with the very opposite qualities, pride, cunning, cruelty. Consequently, ruling means doing to others what we would not they should do unto us. So he's saying uh, ruling turns the golden rule on its head. Um, He says, according to Christ's teaching, the good are those who are meek and long-suffering, do not resist evil by force, forgive injuries, love their enemies. Those are wicked who exalt themselves, oppress, strive, and use force. Indeed, it is absurd even to speak of Christian ruling. Mm. So it's a really radical um, idea. But as I say, and I don't agree with half of what he says, but when I read it, I was really challenged by how we treat certain teachings of Christ and minimize them as if, you know, he doesn't mean for us to love our enemies or he doesn't mean for us to, um, you know, I don't know. I, I would agree with him on this point that the history of the Christian church has been complicit in a lot of horrible things because it has uh, tried to embrace um, political power and such. And that's always um, toxic to the faith, in my opinion. But it's a good read if you're interested in being challenged and reading something you probably will disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> so... Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I have some things to add to my reading list yeah. then, too. Um, and you guys, this this is also, you know, a, you know, another book that we should recommend? The Bible. The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we laughing? We're laughing because we've both been engaged in ministry, congregational work, all sorts of things with Christians who have... Do not know their scriptures. Yeah. Well, we come together Sunday like a book club where no one's read the book. <laughs> right? Um, but, and, you know, there's different reading plans out there. There's different ways to approach that. Just reading it through, uh, doing something that's more kind of chronological, etc. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if, if nothing else, just sit down and read, like, the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. I mean, which you can do in, gosh, I don't know an hour and a half or something yeah. it's just nothing you know read read the gospel accounts at least get that done so you know you know the story you yeah. know what we're talking about but um, I always suggest people read the gospel of John and first John because you could read first John as a commentary on the gospel mm. it, it uses a lot of the same thing but yeah definitely read the New Testament at least <laughs> uh, know it but yeah, read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. And then read read some of these other things, too. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. And uh, you can do 
do some shopping with us and join us again on the Substack where we can talk about these things if you read them or have questions. Yeah. We can chat it up. And we'll do this again. We will. Lord we will. willing. Until we run out of books that we've both read. Or that anybody want, would want to read. <laughs> or, that any, or that we'd want to make anyone else read. Yeah. I read a lot of books I'm sure nobody else wants to read. Probably. Yeah. <laughs>